We're going to probably wrap this up today. I sure hope so. Uh, a series called uh, A God We Can Trust, building a case for a God that some people don't even know who this God is. If you say God in certain cultures, they'll have their definition of what they mean. The U.S. has their um, the coin um, uh, the, their penny and their money says, in God we trust. Well, it, it's so stamped in and etched in stone or paper haha, or metal that nobody knows what it means anymore. It's just become an assumed thing. Um, how many of you have ever, ever had a drywall dent in the wall, kind of patch it up, and then, ah, I'll get to it later. And then six months later, you just don't see it anymore. It's just it's there. You just don't see it anymore. Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the same thing within God we trust. Which God do we trust in? And we're drawn to different, we get pulled in different directions. But we began the case with this. We took a look at our source. Can we trust the scriptures? What does the church history have to say? And I encourage you guys to do some research on what the early church fathers had to say about this God we say we believe in. Uh, especially when it comes to the whole idea of the Trinity and uh, how that came about. The word's not in the Bible. So why do we talk about that? Because there is strong implication of who the three-in-one is. And uh, if we took a closer look at that alone, our love for God and our love for each other would grow immensely. We've also taken a look at Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What does he say? And by the way, if Jesus knows his Father really well, which he does, then maybe we should take him at his word. And we ended up with that awesome, and I know I repeat it, sorry, but that, that uh, conversation he had with Philip. He, um, Philip said, hey, uh, show us the Father. Like, now's a really good time. And Jesus said, haven't I been with you long enough? Don't you know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is using that moment, the first time in history, where he declares his oneness with his Father so bluntly, the sameness, and that he knows his Father's character better than all the other prophets and teachers that have ever written anything about God. Those are all incomplete pictures. Jesus is the first one who brings the complete picture. <laughs> That's why the book in the back there called The More Christ-Like God is important. Wait a minute. Maybe it isn't good cop, bad cop. <laughs> you know, God the Father is the nasty one, and Jesus had to save us from the wrath of his dad. My goodness. What have we, how do we arrive at that? Then we took a look at the pattern of verses uh, that lay a foundation uh, for what we've just been reading. So if, if there's one verse about a topic of God, that's great. Maybe we need to relook at some of those, the original language and get into the details. But what if there's a whole bunch? Now you're building a case for evidence for those things. So there's a couple topics we talked about. Reconciliation and forgiveness. Reconciliation that we have already been reconciled. And when we showed you the verses, boom, 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 one after another, it's like, wait a minute. We have to stop and actually take stock of this evidence that's before us. If it is, if it's clear that we are already reconciled, where the, the thing that's stopping or hindering a relationship with God has been removed and now made possible, that's been done. You know, instead of, well, you're not reconciled until you say the prayer. Well, who made that up? Religion. Then we have forgiveness. The fact that we are already forgiven. 
Again, Darwin had a lot of evidence. We just boom, 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 boom. There's like a ton of verses that just implied something that's so blunt. And then last week, we talked about the, the threat of conditional forgiveness from right after the Lord's Prayer. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Patty, did you get your email? I sent it last night. Sorry. Um, she wanted to see the Aramaic Lord's Prayer. You guys are welcome to email me, and I'll send it off to you. It just might take a week to, for you to get it. But uh, to see the Aramaic Lord's Prayer, because Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and to see what, the way it's worded and, and phrased, and, and then when you come to that forgiveness section to realize it may not be so much as we understand in our English what forgiveness is, but it's the unfetter the chains that bind us as we unfetter those that are, we're bound to. And so when that threat came that if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive you yours, holy smokes, what kind of God is this? But what if in the Aramaic sense it actually means if you don't unfetter the chains on, from others, God's not going to do it for you. And that was big to me. When I saw that, I can never unsee that. And then it suddenly becomes real. Okay, I've got some more studying to do. Because now somebody just threw another menu item up that I never thought of before of how to answer some of these tough questions. There are a lot of tough questions to ask. I don't have all the answers. But as I have fun exploring them, I'm having fun sharing them. Because these questions are not new. Everybody throughout history has had the same questions. So today... I want to take a look at what do we do? How then do we, do we respond? So if the court case has been laid before us, all the evidence, are you guilty or not guilty? So the jury deliberates and, and, and focuses on and puts all the evidence together. So how do, we, how, how do we respond? How do we come back before the judge? And what is our verdict? Well, there are a number of stories in Scripture, and there's some key parts of Scripture that point to our response. No, it's not I have to or you must. A lot of, a lot of places, not, unfortunately, I, I remember saying in youth groups and in some of my sermons, you know, not here per se, but said, you ought to. If you want to be close to God, here's what you must do. Here's your three steps, ten steps. And it preached well. You know, it got people all riled up and it was kind of fun, but you know what? The rules wear off. It has to come from Spirit. It has to come from the Holy Spirit prompting you and exciting you. Having some suggestions is great, but the, the desire to do the things in response to God comes from Christ himself. Not, not man-made, not self-made. So let's take a look at some examples and instructions. Here's a great picture, um, because we need to get a, a healthy perspective of how our Heavenly Father would see you or I in a place of darkness and blindness and the response. So we have the story of the prodigal son. Really, uh, technically, I think it's the prodigal father because the word prodigal means lavish, um, uh, just freely give like crazy and overdoing it, irresponsible. Well, I think the heavenly, our Heavenly Father is irresponsible and lavish in His grace towards us that we, uh, it's not deserving. It's, it, it's foolishness to us. And that's the love of God. It doesn't make sense. It's overabounding. So here we have... The son who comes home back to his dad, uh, he had the speech all planned. You know, oh, I got I to gotta practice and rehearse my speech. It's like I got a TED talk to do to my dad, you know, and make sure it's all set right and I breathe and look up correctly and, you know, have my hands right. I got, I got to have it all done perfect, right? That, this is what was going on here. And he comes back and he starts to rehearse. So he turned to his home, uh, to his father, and while he was still a long way off, and this is a big key, 
while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Stop there. The only way the father could see him coming is if he's kind of looking for him, or at least in proximity to where his son could be coming. And he's always, is he, where, could, could it be today? Could it be today? We don't know. But the anticipation and hope, <laughs> I think that is the heart of the Father. I think that's why Jesus shared the story. Because the Old Testament, there's so many stories of God being ticked off. You step over the line, fry, baby. You know? And he does that. Like he built an altar, so they're gone. They're toast. They're earth cave. Gone, right? Okay, be good. <laughs> right? But Jesus is correcting the picture. He's saying, no, that's not my daddy. This is my daddy anticipating, longing. And it's probably the only story in Scripture where you see or hear of God running, the day God ran. Um, uh, Benny Hester? Yes, Benny Hester wrote a song called When God Ran. And I, I, first time I heard it, I just loved it, and I've always enjoyed that song forever. Um, but it's the only time God ran, you know? And so he saw him coming. He was filled with love and compassion. This is the God we say we believe in. We do not need to be afraid of him. Uh, how many people that I meet, you know, I tell them I work at a church, yeah, if I ever worked in a church, those, the beams would come crashing down. <laughs> you know, like, that happens all the time. You know, or uh, something would happen terrible if I walked into a church because they think they're so unholy. And yet, God's not in the church. Oh, well, is he? Of course. But that's not where he really is. He's everywhere. And so compassion is flowing towards them, the want to, the desire to see them see a better picture, a more hope-filled perspective. Jesus is trying to correct the false images of his father. It's beautiful. And so he embraced him and kissed him, and his son said to him, okay, TED Talk video, lighting, you know, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the father just cuts him off. But his father said to the servants, that's a key right there. You probably didn't catch this. But if he's talking to the servants, he's not talking to his son. His son's ready for a speech, but the father's already talking to the servants. Guys, who cares what this guy's saying right now? It's all flubber. I know what he's trying to do. Get the stuff ready. Bring me a great coat. Bring me a ring and get that calf on the barbecue because here we go. You know, it's awesome. And off he goes. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. See, veganism, I don't know. We must celebrate with a feast. For, sorry, <laughs> just came out. Sorry. <laughs> for his son, for this son of mine, son of mine. Notice he started his speech. He said, "I'm not worthy to be called your son." Right there, and then he says, "For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found." So the party began. Let me give you another image here you may not have caught. How many times have we been told in churchianity that we were spiritually dead? And I know in my circles it was implied I had a dead spirit. Have you heard that? It's not in the Bible. It's not there. How can you have 
a dead spirit. If you, how do you have life? It's impossible. Otherwise, you're your own God, self-sufficient. Think. Is either Jesus is holding you together, or you are. I'm not putting any bets on you. So, while we're still spiritual beings, why would he say dead? Was he actually dead? Even physically? No. Where was he dead? Right here. In his thinking. It also says in Scripture, we're dead in our trespasses. Not literally spirit. I think that's an impossibility. So we need to revisit what that could mean. There are other options on the table. There are other menu items to understand that. But the more I'm realizing my oneness, my union with Christ, and the life giver, Jesus, who is the life. Remember, there's only one life, right? Hmm. Implications are fun. But here he says he was dead and now returned to life. So there is room for imagery in Scripture when certain verses say you were once dead and, and now alive. Well, there's another verse where it says while, they, while living, they were still dead. Like You're going to see these images all through, so be careful not to jump to a quick definition that, oh, that makes sense, and that's it. You never explore other definitions. This is one of the ones that really messed me up about five years ago. That's when I first began to see, wait a minute, there is only one life. I was never spiritually dead. I was spiritually blind. Oh, and Jesus came to what? Give sight to the who? Blind. Hang, open the ears of the deaf and, oh, and find those that are what? Lost? Lostness requires ownership. Otherwise, it's not lost. If I find this guitar over there, you know, I could say, hmm, a free guitar. But Dan would shoot me. <laughs> but if he can't find it and I find it, it means he owns it and I found it. It was lost and now it's found. There are many who are lost. But they're still attached. The light of Christ shines through them still, even though they may not see it. To them, it's great darkness. Jesus said that in Matthew. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Let's look at this response. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is the welcome. So how do we respond? Listen, if you're going through heavy stuff, this is the Christ in you. And if you don't recognize Christ in you, then wake up to the voices beckoning you to believe and watch what happens with that transformation. You're being invited to believe because when you do believe, everything changes. There's a, an awakening that happens that you can't control and you'll start to find rest, life, healing, salvation. It's all the same. In the Passion Translation, I love this. Are you weary? Carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I'll refresh your life, for I am your oasis. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, how many have ever heard of the naked pastor? Not literally, but the, the, the guy online who does cartoons. Okay. His stuff's pretty pushy, and I love it. But I saw a cool cartoon. I'll have to clean it up um, to tell you it, because 
there's a, a word in there that it's not appropriate to share, but you'll get it. <laughs> um, this is, there's this guy walking along, and then there's Jesus carrying his backpack, all kinds of just overloaded stuff. And, and this guy says, so what are you carrying all that stuff? And Jesus said, this ain't my crap, that's yours. <laughs> you get it? Okay, good. I thought it was great. You know, he, he's the one who takes our birds. Now, that's a fun image, but really, when Jesus takes that over, is it really a burden anymore? He removes, he begins to heal. And the stuff we've been carrying no longer needs to be carried. But I believe he carries it emotionally for us as we are getting healed and then realize it just disintegrates. Because, wow. I had made that up in my own mind. I created that in my own head, my own expectations. And Jesus came to set me free. Now he's speaking freedom to me from the place of having it, not from the place of lack. Too many times we say prayers, we sing songs of, God, come, give me more of this and give us your grace. Are you kidding? He's giving it to us. When we pray in such a way, we're almost confirming something that isn't true, and we create a divide, a separation, that we don't have something, therefore we beg for it. You already have everything you need for godly living. That's a promise. Now wake up to it. You don't have to pray for more patience. Although in some roundabouts, you really wonder, you know. But you still have it. You get to pray, Father, please let your patience come through me. Because my humanity, ego patience, is really bad right now. And I don't want to hurt people's feelings. So, Father, may your patience that is existing in me come out. That's a prayer of faith. Next, let the little children come. Love, love this. Passion Translation reads, Jesus overheard them saying and said, I want little children to come to me. So never interfere with them when they want to come. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Yep, childlike faith and exuberance. Some of us are so serious as adults. We have made the joy of the gospel boring and tainted and unbelievable. In churchianity, they're the worst army of people. They shoot their own wounded. You know, you're not allowed to screw up in the church. Oh, no, get out. No, no, we got to clean that up. Go away, go away. Or stand in front of the whole church and make them confess some stuff that's humiliating and embarrassing to make everybody else feel, I don't do that. And if I do, I ain't telling you until I get caught. That's how it works. No, compassionate, kindness like children. Forgive quickly. Hug quickly. This is, this is the response he wants us to come to him. We're being invited to a daddy who's got a lap that's so big we can jump on. Woohoo! I remember with my kids once in a while when they were little, I did a, my dad did this German little rhyme called Hoppel, Hoppel, Reiter, Wenderfelder, Schreiter. And then and it means hop, hop, hop something. Uh, when he rides, he's okay, but when he falls, he screams. That's the German version of it. So Hoppel, Hoppel, Reiter, Wenderfelder, Schreiter. Ah! You know, and then uh, he opens his legs and down I go. And oh, we, we just loved that fun. It was so much fun. We don't do that here. <laughs> this is the Jesus we say we believe in. Please don't forget. That's the beauty of coming together like this. So if you're questioning, do we need to go to church? Is it important? The, one of the benefits 
of being part of a local church coming together physically is interconnections and relationships, but also being reminded of good news. And if you're not hearing good news, get out. Why stay there and get clobbered on? Sorry. Why? We need to be reminded in our day and age of the goodness of God. That he is for people. He's welcoming. And if we don't look like God, there's something wrong. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13. God is love. That word there is agape. Agape means other-centered love. There's four words in the Greek language for love. There's agape, which is other-centered love. Rarely used in the scripture except when it refers to God. Then there's storge, which is a parental love. Then there's phileo, as in fish, which I love. Just kidding. It's more of a friendship love. And then there's eros, the word erotic. We get that from, more of a sexual love. Those words are all important. We have one, for, one word in Canada or in the Western world. We just love. You know, I love my wife. Well, I love cheeseburgers. What? What? Wait a minute. There's got to be a differentiation here. There's a very different value attached to those two things, right? But here, agape. God is love. If this is God, anybody that says they love you, now take a look at this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. This, some marriages could really learn this. It does not demand its own way. Okay, all of us can learn this. Uh-oh. It is not irritable. And I love this translation of that because we have come uh, to a place in our culture, in the church culture, that believes God is irritable. At least that's, well, you say he's love, but you know what? He could still get rubbed the wrong way. No. I'm going to go with what it says versus my opinion. I'm going to take God's opinion on this. And it keeps no record of being wrong. This is huge. That was uh, covered during our forgiveness part. If this is God not keeping a record of your wrong, then why are you keeping a record of your wrongs? Not able to forgive yourself. Or why are you keeping a record of other people's wrongs? And I'm speaking to myself right now. Oh my goodness. Why? Well, we're still maturing. We're becoming. We're growing. None of us have arrived. So we need grace on both sides. Grace to not keep records for wrongs. Grace to forgive those who keep records of wrongs. <laughs> Be patient. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Yeah, you want to respond? We respond to that love. What's our response? Ephesians reminds us that God has blessed us. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And I think that's pretty big. Because we are united with Christ. If you do not believe you are united with Christ, then what we just read is going to be hard to believe and appropriate. Yep. We're all growing. Child, young adult, adult. 1 John 2. 
stages of growth, you betcha. We got that image on the wall over there with the tree, the seed, and the sapling. The seed is knowing who your daddy is, knowing you're forgiven. And if you don't know that, you can look like you're growing, but you still have a major piece of information missing. It also says in Ephesians that we're given wisdom. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. You have already been given wisdom. My concern is, why can't I access that wisdom all the time at just the right time and never mess up? If I figured that out, I think I'd be rich because then I could sell a lot of books. And No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Start a new ministry. <laughs> that was a joke. But this idea that we have already been given it. What does that mean? Welcome to keep growing. And then verse 17 says, I pray that the Father of glory. Okay, you ever wonder what your heavenly Father's like? He's called the Father of glory here. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deep intimacy with him. Deep intimacy. An inner knowing. Not info. See, information is important, but this word here, revelation, once it's been revealed to you, it can't be unrevealed. Information is just great info. You have answers for everybody, but are you at the inmost place a loving person? Worth asking yourself. Ephesians 2.5, he cleans us up. That even though we were dead because of our sins, see, dead because of what? Not our spirits, because of sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. When did that happen? When? When? At the cross. Yeah. Didn't even ask your permission. Gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's God's grace that gives you the faith to believe. You do not have faith in and of yourself. The faith you have is a gift given to you by Christ. It's the faith of Christ. We'll get to that in just a moment. He gives us a new identity. For we are God's masterpiece, not a piece of work. Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Where? In Christ. When? At the cross. This is important. Does it mean we experience all of it now or know it or understand it all now? No. If you don't believe it, that doesn't mean anything to you. For those who don't believe this, it's meaningless and has no power in your lives. But God's not giving up. He's pursuing. Mm -hmm. He pursues that which is lost. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do, <gasps> there's that word, do. Oh no, I thought this was about rest and grace. Yes, that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He's called us to serve and do and love and be in our own places. Does not have to look like a church activity. It can be a Rusty Bats baseball game. Old guys smashing balls and getting heckled and heckling one another and enjoying a 
well-brewed beverage. You know, things like that. Um, it, it, it can look like that. It can look like on a golf course having fun. It can look like an art class doing their thinking. It can look like doing dishes. It can look like all the... This is... We are called to serve and do, but the do... We don't do the do in order to become or maintain anything. We do the do in response to the revelation. Do we work to get rest or do we work from rest? And rest is a person named Jesus. <laughs> Ephesians, he gives you his faith. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Galatians 2.20, King James Version, one of the few that only got it right. If you go back to the original languages, even on any uh, interlinear Bible, online, there's a whole bunch there. You look it up, it will tell you what I'm about to read to you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Most other translations would say, I live by faith in the Son of God. Where's the onus on that? You. But this saying, nah, it really is all Jesus. It really is that simple. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Young's literal translation translates it like this. I live by Son of God faith. <laughs> I love that. The Passion Translation got it right. Most others got it wrong. I don't know why. Reacting to grace, how do we react Luke 17, 11 to 13, one of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful, he couldn't thank him enough, and he was a Samaritan. This is a picture of how we can respond. It doesn't have to always look Pentecostal or charismatic, okay? <laughs> it can look in any kind of way that you have been wired to respond. What's your response to your Heavenly Father as you get a better and better picture of who He is? What's your response to Jesus who laid out a much better picture for you of a more loving Father? What's your response to the Gospel? I, I, I'm begging people to believe the Gospel. That's my plea. Believe this good news for your life will be transformed. Your mind will be renewed. That's a great response. Luke 5, 17 and 26, he spoke directly to the paraplegic. Take up your bedroll and go home. Without a moment's hesitation, he did it. Got up, took his blanket, left for home, giving glory to God all the way. People rubbed their eyes. Incredious. What? And then also gave him, they also gave glory to God. Awestruck, they said, we've never seen anything like that before. So witnessing a miracle is pretty cool. I would still love to see the really cool, you know, arm grow back thing. That'd be really neat. Praying for that one. Dead to life, I'd love to see that. A lot of stuff I'd love to see. But I'm seeing other miracles that are not as obvious. Transformation of your mind. That's a miracle. When the aha of the revelation of Christ turns on in you and the light of Christ illuminates something that is already true in you and you go, oh, I didn't see that before. No way. That I love. That's a wake-up call. That's an awakening. 
I don't, one thing I don't get about this dude, if he just got healed like that, wouldn't you want to hang around with the healer? <laughs> I would, right? Like, go home. I don't want to go home. Go home. Okay. No, I don't think that happened. But either way, you know, we just don't know. There's lots of humor in these stories. Almost done. Mark 9, if you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us, Jesus said. If there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the Father cried, then I believe, help me in my doubts. This is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture in my mind. One of them. Jesus says, you know, the Father says, if you can do this. And Jesus says, if? What? What do you mean if? There's no ifs with me. Just believe. Well, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He was having trouble. How can you manufacture belief, people? You can't, but we've been led to believe we can. We've been taught incantations, oh, prayers, to repeat, to make something happen emotionally in us. When rather, let me encourage you to focus your eyes to the light in you. Let that belief wake you up. You're not in competition with the person over there who seems to be so strong in their faith. Oh, don't kid yourself. We all struggle. Every one of us. I'm just as real as all of you. Everybody does. So when we have those times of, I believe, but help me understand this, is a great prayer. Just don't arrive and think you have the answer and then not be teachable anymore to come back to that answer that you've just not revisited when somebody challenges it. You go, no, that's what I believe. What if you were meant to have that as a stepping stone for a deeper and deeper understanding, a better and wider picture of the love of God? But you're stuck here. Hmm. Be teachable. Why? Oh, brother. Oh, okay, fine. Stop here. Last one. I guess I had a lot more to go. <laughs> Too bad. The message writes this in Ephesians. This is the last slide. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. Through Jesus Christ, oh, what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. But you need to know who he is before you can imitate. You need to understand character. You need to be able to trust. And I believe there are many believers, they believe in God, but they don't quite trust him. Because if they yield it, is he really going to take care of things? Or do you, oh, you want control? Oh, right, that word. That's for another sermon. Be imitators as beloved children. Didn't say adults. It says, be imitators of God as Bible-believing Christians in a, as a member in a church. Doesn't say that. It says, like, children. Yeah, that's good news today. Let's pray.